0: Please dive in. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Boehm, your host. And today I have author Kimberly Ann Johnson on. And Kimberly's talked about or written about trauma, birth, sex, all kinds of wild things that are really, really necessary for us to know and really, really important to help us understand. And whether you're going to give birth, have given birth, or will never, ever, ever give birth, we dive first into how we in the West don't handle what happens after birth and ways that we can handle it better. Now, guys, I know this is a male-dominated podcast. Listen to this anyway, because she dives into some things that your partner may be experiencing, your partner may have experienced, or your partner may experience coming up. Or someone that you know. It doesn't even have to be your partner. Any human that you know who's going to be pregnant and give birth is going to experience some things that you want to know about. And that's not all that we talk about. We, we, we're going in a number of different directions in this podcast. She's brilliant. I loved her book. I love listening to her talk about trauma, how that we can work with trauma, how that we can work better with trauma. How we can just live far more pain-free, natural, holistic lives. Her book, The Call of the Wild, or Call of the Wild, is amazing. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend you checking her out. And please, guys, again, male-dominated podcast, share this one with women in your life. Period, fucking period. Just share it with women in your life. And as you know, this episode is brought to you by the good people at Zen Squatch and Cured Nutrition. Please check out www.zensquatch.com, see what they're up to, see how they're helping men and women both bring their visions to life, live more holistic lives, be happier humans, be healthier humans, have higher deadlifts, meditate longer, meditate deeper, like bring the whole Sasquatch thing out into the forefront, get it out of the government's hands who's been hiding it, just like the UFOs, which definitely came out, but no one seems to give a shit. Okay, now I'm rambling go check out zensquatch.com. Use the the discount code uncivilized after you make a purchase or check them out on Instagram. Let them know that you heard them here. Same thing with Cured Nutrition. Many of you were on the call that I did with Joe Sheehy, their CEO. Lovely, 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 amazing guy. He's in my men's group here in Denver uh, where he shared some of his struggles. With depression and suicidal, suicidal ideology, and how he's turned his life around and now created an extraordinary company selling CBD products that I take, my partner takes. Uh, curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized. Again, use the code uncivilized to get a fat discount. And you guys, thank you again. Uh, I said this a couple episodes ago, but I have just gotten such an outpouring of support from you, from supporting the sponsors, by having sponsors, by you sharing the episodes, by you rating it on iTunes, Spotify, all the places that you are listening. The podcast is growing. We are becoming a household name. I got recognized in a restaurant two weeks ago. It was kind of weird, but also kind of cool and then kind of weird, but kind of cool. Yeah, it was, it was actually it was really fucking cool. Who am I kidding? Okay, without further ado, I'm definitely rambling. Kimberly Ann Johnson, Call of the Wild. Kimberly Johnson, welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. I appreciate you coming on. I have, I have dove headfirst into your book. I'm not all the way through it, but I think it is so timely for what we're experiencing right now and to give guy, uh, folks some context, this is the middle of August And it feels like everything's falling apart again. Uh, So, (laughs) thank you for coming on. If you wouldn't mind, I know this is kind of an American question, but giving my audience the quick and dirty on who you are and what you do, and then then we'll dive in.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Well, I am a trauma educator, and a lot of things fall under that umbrella. I was a yoga teacher for a long time in Colorado Mm -hmm. um, and Rio de Janeiro. I lived in Brazil for eight years. And then I've been a body worker for about that same amount of time. I'm a, I am ai do the Rolf method of structural integration. And then I had a baby and my life completely changed. And everything that I thought I knew about everything, exercise, spiritual practice, nutrition really got turned on its head. And as I started sharing my story about what it was like recovering from birth and mothering and still trying to have a spiritual and physical practice, lots of women started sharing their stories with me. And as a result, I realized um, that the pelvis is sort of, especially for women, kind of uncharted territory. It's left out in a lot of bodywork fields. Like, you know, you touch everything, but you don't touch the belly. You don't touch the genitals. And it happens to be a place where a lot of people need healing work and healing touch. So I gave in about three years, I gave 800 sessions that were helping women recover from birth, prepare for birth recover from gynecological surgeries and sexual boundary repairs. Mm. Then me too happened. And I realized that the kind of somatic sexual, sexual education I was offering one-to-one wasn't going to change the terrain fast enough for how I want the world to be when my daughter comes of age, which is happening faster and faster. Today was her first day of high school. Uh, And yeah. So I got trained as a somatic experiencing practitioner and I got trained as a sexological body worker so that I could actually help people attend to these problems in a holistic way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yes. thus was born my latest book, The Call of the Wild, How We Heal Trauma, Awaken Our Own Power and Use It for Good.
0: Thank you for sharing that. If I may ask, what what was it about your pregnancy or giving birth that turned everything on its head?
1: Definitely. A part of it was that prior to that time, on a somewhat unconscious level because of, I, so I'm 47, um, the way that I was raised was like, I'm as good as any man and I can do anything and I can do it better and that, you know, I should try. That the experience of birth itself catapulted me into this binary where I was just like, I 45 minutes after I gave birth, I just looked at my mom and was like, this is all bullshit. Like this was all a lie. Like there's nothing that's the same. Mm-hmm. There we're not experiencing anything that's similar. And so all of my spiritual practices bit had been like, well, spirit is neutral. Spirit doesn't have gender. Um, you know, the only way that my feel femaleness was attended to in my physical practice was like maybe take a day off if I had my period or like separate my feet a couple inches but being a female wasn't informing anything about in fact it was in a lot of ways considered something you should try to overlook and overcome so that you could just get back to practice and and so i just the inherent Mm -hmm. maleness of all of the practices that i had learned and how that had been just like that was the norm got Mm -hmm. revealed to me my birth itself i had a home birth which is what i had always wanted i So, ever since I knew I wanted a baby, I knew I wanted to have a home birth. I put everything on the line to have a home birth. I moved from an island to a city where I could have a midwife. The birth itself was, I wouldn't consider it traumatic. It was just my recovery was so intense. My body rejected the suturing materials. I didn't know that's what was happening. But I also, independent of my physical situation, I had no idea, none, like no idea. What I thought postpartum time was, was you get a sling. I have my breasts, so I have food available. And I was the oldest in my family. I babysat a lot. I just had no idea that there would be a full spiritual, sexual, physical, emotional overhaul. And I was out of my own country, you know, which means not eating food from the soil where I was made. Uh, I didn't have any support network. And I just didn't know and so as a result of that, it took me a really long time to heal and put myself back together. And in my case, it was fairly extreme because I was in a new relationship, you know, new place. But at the same time, it really revealed how this part of having a child and, you know, most of the people listening to this podcast, many are men and, and, and men see this too. It's like, you know, the elephant in the room is that like there's not ever gonna be sex again and like life's never gonna be the same, but it's hard to really figure out how to talk about that because the postpartum time really is a time of the feminization of sex because most people that most women don't really want penetration postpartum because something big and uncomfortable just went out and it's kind of like it gets a little bit confused and anything else that's happened in the pelvis sometimes gets shimmied to the surface, sometimes your own birth record, you know, your own birth imprints. So I really wanted to help women and couples understand that if this period of time, which for me is immediate postpartum, the six weeks to three months, if you really have what you need during that time, it can actually strengthen a relationship and it can actually strengthen you physically and psychologically. But of course, we see the complete opposite because people have nothing of what they need. Mm -hmm. Um, They go back to work. They're back on their feet. Trying to get back in shape. You know, I I was um, a yoga teacher, prenatal yoga teacher also. And I remember that there was a a swimming pool right next door to the studio where I taught a, a county swimming pool. And I saw a woman who was swimming there up until the day she gave birth. And then five days later, she came with her baby in the car seat and got back in the pool. And that was kind of the norm of like just just be a superwoman. Just, right. you know, that's so amazing that you can keep doing handstands or it's so amazing that you can keep running marathons. And it's so amazing. Mm. And all those things are amazing. And women are amazing. Humans are amazing, but we don't have to do overdue and we don't have to overcompensate to prove that. Mm. So for me personally, my relationship also dissolved in the first year postpartum. So I became a single mom and I've been one ever since my daughter's now 14 she was 9 months old when i separated and the research shows that most relationships if you if you track a relationship back to when there starts to be fragmentation a lot of it is in the first year postpartum but it doesn't have to be that way it's that way because we have a cultural black hole it's mm-hmm. that way because we don't have uh, we don't have the awareness that this is actually a specific period of time it's not forever And it's power packed. So like if you get what you need during that time in Ayurveda, they say 42 days for 42 years. So if you're listening and your wife is pregnant or has been the best investment that you can make in your relationship, if you want to have great sex and intimacy and connected love is make sure that she has everything she needs in those six weeks it's not an equal thing. It's not both people responsible for caring for the baby. It's the father caring for the mother to care for the baby. Or if you know, if you're in a non-heterosexual partnership, it's one partner caring for the prime, the person who gave birth because it's not the same. Um, it's, it's a physical, it's a complete transformation. It doesn't have to be traumatic. A lot of people are saying like all birth is traumatic. No, all birth is stressful on the body. It's a stress. Pregnancy is a stress, but we're designed as you know, like you make a whole career out of this to handle good stress Mm -hmm. and the human bodies were designed for it. Um, but we need support to recover. And the amazing thing is no matter how your birth goes, if it was a total disaster, if it was incredible, everyone needs the same thing. If it was really not great, you might need it for a little bit longer. Uh, but every human, every woman who has a baby needs the same things after she has a baby. So it's, it's the man's responsibility to orchestrate that care. Because as a woman, we're in this position now where like in a, if we're giving birth and we're having to defend ourselves and our rights to give birth the way we want to at this sympathetic nervous system action. At the same time as we're doing the parasympathetic job of releasing sphincters and relaxing and dilating and letting go it's a nervous system crisscross. So what we need is the male partner, not to be the birth coach. We need the male partner protecting the perimeter, guarding the space. And then the same goes postpartum, guarding the territory, making sure that the woman physically has the food she needs. And that could mean cooking, but it could mean a front end investment of a postpartum doula who comes to the house three hours a day. And I would recommend and people say it's not financially viable, but what I will say is that if you don't do it in the front end, you end up paying way more on the back end. Because one of the things that your listeners will understand is that in gravity, lax ligaments pull on organs. So prolapse is when your organs fall below where they're supposed to be. It can happen with intense strain and lifting as well. Um, but a lot of women, because no one, like when you leave the hospital, that they basically say to you, Take care of yourself, but you don't know what that means. Be careful. (laughs) So, that could mean anything to anyone. For some people, caring for themselves means going for a run Mm -hmm. because that's how they know how to deal with anxiety. For some people, caring for themselves means eating salads and smoothies. Well, that's not what a postpartum woman needs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was just, you know, everything I'm saying to you, I didn't know. So, I had to learn it the hard way. And then I wrote my first book, The Fourth Trimester because I really care about children having intact parents and parents feeling love for one another. And um, those are all total possibilities. You know, it's not like a long shot. It's like, if we just have this knowledge, we can be so much closer to maintaining the love that brought the child into the world most of the time.
0: Yeah. Well, I have a lot of thoughts, Kimberly. That was awesome.
1: (laughs) I can't wait to
0: hear. Uh, yeah. I, I want to share that my back. I'm a acupuncturist and was dating a woman in my last year of acupuncture school who I believe was writing a book on the Chinese medical version of what happens after pregnancy and how like people aren't allowed to come see the mom and the kid for weeks. She's not put on a schedule and she's sure as shit not back in the office you know, nine days later getting high five for like, you, you did it, you did it. It's uh, it was, you know, this was almost a decade ago, but I remember thinking like, Oh, we have this wrong. This is one more thing. Would you mind sharing a bit of, and I know this was potentially a loaded question, but how did we get to the point where we take the most sacred and the most important like biological thing? Like if we don't keep making kit people, This whole system goes down, like the whole experiment's done. How did we take something so reverent and turn it into a box to check and go, okay, cool. Like, hey, we're going to give you seven whole days before we need you back in the office. How, How did we do this? Or how have we gotten so off track in your opinion?
1: Great question. I also just want to underscore that a lot of what I learned came from Chinese medicine, came from earth-based indigenous cultures, specifically in Asia, because Asia tends to have the best postpartum practices, Malaysia, Thailand, Taiwan, Mm. India. Although every culture around the world had these practices, including here in the U.S., that used to be called lying in. Every culture has a name for it. In China, it's sitting the nest. Mm. Um, In Taiwan, it's sitting out the month. So. how did we get here? Well, I would, I'm going to circle back to this, um, sort of outcome, which is easy to say from where I stand, because I stand on the shoulders of earlier feminists who fought for me to be able to do what I'm able to do now, including vote, including be a breadwinner for my family, including author books, because I, you know, have a great education. Uh, but we're in a new wave of feminism now that includes the body. The earlier waves of feminism were Mm anti-motherhood and they were also, you know, it was trying to get women out of the house, like this forced, you know, reproduction. And so the pill was lauded as this huge feminist, you know, gift and still many people feel that way today. And I would say that that's probably true depending on what culture you're in and you're in and where you live and how much privilege you have to, to, do alternative methods, although those also circle back on themselves, you know, like a fertility tracking method is something that people who don't have resources do because you don't need resources to do it. Um, so it kind of, it's like an Ouroboro, it kind of works back towards itself. But I think this, you know, Emphasis clearly on productivity. We live in a yin culture, yang culture, where it's like we just we like linear, we like drive, we like productivity, and the yin aspect of recoiling, Mm -hmm. softening, it's unseen a lot. And so we're a culture that's you know very much about image and what you can see and what you produce. You know, I just finished writing this book. I have a teenager. I live by myself with her. And people are like, what's next? Mm. And I'm just like, nothing, <laughs> like nothing. Like Did I have take been,
0: a day off before coming up with your next project. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, like nothing. nothing's next. Like yeah. I Shaga, like, like, no, like just it's a pause is next, you know, mm. a reprieve is next. The, mm. the, the tide's rolling back out, you know, like mm. let's just, and so It's a huge consideration, you know, like we can tell someone to rest. Knowing you should rest and actually being able to rest. Mm -hmm. And many of us don't actually know how to rest. Mm -hmm. So this period of time is very slow. The postpartum period is so slow. What can be painful for me to observe is that Especially within more holistic and spiritual communities where this concept of rest or slowing down is something that people would be totally good with, right? Like, you're like, yeah, of course, I need to sit and meditate. Still, somehow, because it's physiologically driven and it's not a controlled choice, Mm -hmm. still very challenging. And also, there's a whole level of social isolation that's involved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talking about social isolation during a pandemic is like a strange conflation. But what it really is, is like, it's a a time to really be a mother-baby dyad. And the partner is there to protect that dyad. So I really think it's just this disconnection from earth, disconnection from seasons, And a a plugging into a model that's like both parents have to work. And then the lack of information because, okay, both people have to work or want to work. Okay. But, you know, people save up to have a wedding, but nobody saves up for how they want to give birth or how Mm -hmm. they want to have a postpartum time. So I'm really encouraging some kind of new financial models. Where, especially for women early on, just like you might put money in a 401k, you would be investing in your future reproductive plans, however that may be. Because we need, you know, 40% of people in the workplace right now are freelancers, something like that, maybe even more. So I am a total advocate for maternal health and paternal leave policy governmentally. Like that's super important. And it's happening, actually, since I wrote my book. I wrote my, the first book came out 2017. It was in the last two election cycles. People talked about childcare. That was, Mm -hmm. that never happened before 2016. No one even mentioned it. It wasn't even Mm -hmm. a thing. So it's changed a lot in four or five years. But what I see more than that is people who have flexibility, a relative amount of privilege who still don't respect this time. So it's not so much or, or another thing, you know, people have the leave and they don't take it or they take a vacation instead of actually take the time to create that nest and that foundation and stability. Like you don't want to travel, you know, from a, from a Chinese medicine perspective, it's wind that's out of balance. Mm -hmm. um, Postpartum there's vacuity, there's emptiness. The womb is empty. And so you want things that are, swaddling you you want things that are midline oriented you want warmth you want to feel contained so getting on an airplane or like displacing yourself it's you know people people minimize those big shifts because we're able to control so many things but it just turned out that our biology and our physiology speak louder and then we just say oh well one in four women um have postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And people right. are happy to keep that in a mental health category. Mm-hmm. But it's actually not a mental health problem. Unless all mental health problems are also gut problems and also physiological problems and also cultural problems. Arguable. But sure. either way, yeah, we've just we we have such a hard time slowing down.
0: Yeah. That I feel uh men, women and Just culturally, we are so addicted to progress here in the West and are slaves to it, for lack of a better term. We will literally give up our health, our everything in the name of progress. People will high five you in the name of progress. Like, I didn't sleep for three days. Good for you. Well, shit, there's a price to pay for that. Would you mind speaking, I know we're shifting gears a little bit, to trauma that's locked in the pelvic region and just to trauma in general? I think the the last year and a half has opened a lot of people's eyes to the idea of trauma not not enough people's eyes but a lot of people's eyes to the fact that hey what we're going through even right now is traumatic and there's going to be a repercussion for this. We don't just get to go okay you know say we have a, an actual cure for covid tomorrow boom done it's it's not in the picture anymore. A lot of people are still going to be in need of support, recovery, and professional help. Would you mind just sharing some thoughts? I guess just specifically, if we could talk around what gets trapped in the pelvis and is there an equivalent for men even of, are we carrying stress or trauma in that area? And then how do we as a culture begin to navigate something that a lot of people don't really admit exists? Mm. Those questions make sense. I, I kind of come up with questions yes. as I ask other questions. Yeah, so sometimes great. there's like seven in a row.
1: <laughs> okay. I love it. Sure. So, all right, let's start with the pelvis. Uh, there are many frames of work, many templates of body work um, that ascribe certain energetic quality to certain places, sure. right? So like in Chinese medicine, the lungs are grief. Mm-hmm. In the way that I work, I actually don't, I just listen to what the body already has to say. I don't think, oh, I'm in their armpit or I'm on their shoulder. It must be the weight of this person's, the weight of the world on this person's shoulder. Mm -hmm. So I either through touch, like just bone holding, just holding the ilia, the, the two bones of the pelvis. And then I just wait for either a sensation that the person experiences, an emotion that the person experiences some kind of image might arise, or I will just say what I feel under my hands. Like, oh, I notice that your right bone is a little bit wider than your left. I notice that this, it's moving more. And then in that process, and I can see where breath is moving, where breath is not moving, then I see what arises. I have worked on some men, not very many, and that is really based on my own trauma history and also what I found is that when men come to see me, there's a lot of boundary testing because it's so foreign to have any kind of genital touch that a mm-hmm. woman who's willing to do genital touch somehow kind of crosses some wires. And for some women, they don't mind that at all. But for me and my history, I just, I don't enjoy that. So I don't do it. That's Plus there's just so much work to do with women mm-hmm. because what I've found is that Men are usually waiting for women to tell them what they want. I don't have very many clients whose partners, and most of my clients are heterosexual, whose partners are assholes. I don't. I have mostly clients whose partners are waiting for them to tell them what they want or how they want it. They're waiting for an invitation. They're waiting for the time when their partner's going to be ready again after having a baby. Um, They're waiting for kind of like the keys to the lock of like, okay, well, you don't want this anymore, but what might you want kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Because almost all the women who come to me say, can I, can I bring my partner? And I usually just say, well, you could, but I think in three to five sessions, maybe even one session, you will know what you need to communicate. And it's really not about that other person. Mm -hmm. So that's been my experience. The pelvis itself for women Um, We is, there's so much demanded of our genitals, basically. It's like our genitals are never just touched for presence. They're always touched either to examine or um, because there's like a, a, a goal. Yeah. And so just witnessing touch and allowing the body to say what it needs to say, which, you know, Trevor, I'm starting to wonder if I, I'm just a jargon. Like all I speak is jargon. So if I'm jargony, just tell me because I I'm reading a book on cults and, uh, (laughs) and like part of the feature of cults, is like, it's jargon. And I'm like, yeah, but every field has jargon, you know? (laughs) And uh, so (laughs) I don't want to sound like some woo woo. I mean, you know, arguably, I guess I am woo woo, but I'm uh, an
0: acupuncturist. I stick needles in people and, and, have been called a cult leader for having a men's movement. So you're doing great. You're, okay. you're right. In, you're right in line here. This is perfect. Okay.
1: <laughs> so like women haven't had just witnessing touch. And I would say that men haven't really had witnessing touch for the pelvis either. Um, and yes, and we, there would are you mind
0: describing just for someone listening, what witnessing yeah. touch means
1: I would say it's just touching for presence without desiring anything. Mm, Like if you were to touch a penis, but you didn't care if it got hard or not, Mm, you were just actually cradling it or holding it or touching the perineum so that someone could feel contact. Mm. But the goal wasn't, there was no goal. Mm. It was like just to be with that place. Okay. And I think that that's really powerful. And, and if you're listening and you're curious, I w- it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a special thing. Like anyone can do it. And actually I think that's like such an, a wonderful way to begin any sexual interaction, not all the time, but some of the time is just like have some contact first. So you can just actually see what your starting point is and where you are mm-hmm. without coming to it with so much charge, because the charge is often what then causes sort of a mismatch of one person coming with tons of charge, the other one trying to deal with the charge Mm. and not knowing what to do with it. So a lot of times, if trauma happened with touch, we need touch to heal the trauma. Mm. And in, in the work that I did, I just realized when I was You know, a lot of women have had very rough pelvic exams at the doctor, um doctor exams in pelvic floor PT, normally they don't like to touch the vulva because they don't want any arousal suggestion. So they don't want to touch the clit. So they just try to penetrate right away, which really vulvas don't like. It's like it's it's like going into this center of something without actually paying attention to what's around it. So even just like a moment of a full palm on a vulva and one breath before getting some kind of an exam would make a huge difference Mm -hmm. in a person's experience. But that's really discouraged in medicine, in PT. Um, You know, I, I have people who've gone to pelvic floor PTs come to me and I've actually had pelvic floor PT myself. One time I had a pelvic floor physical therapist. She had an iPad in one hand and then she had a probe in the other hand. And she was basically just like probing me And there was like electrical shocks on the probe and then waiting for the musculature to fire. And then, but she was just doing her iPad the whole time. So there's like really no presence happening with it. It's just totally mechanistic. Right. So in this case, it's like bringing back the whole person into the touch and actually having a reparative experience where I'm just touching. And there's a lot of dissociation from the pelvis, right? There's a lot of like, well, I know you're touching, Me, but I can't really feel it, or I feel that, but I don't feel this because parts of our body can also go numb and go to sleep, and we can be disconnected from them. Mm -hmm. And if someone's had a history of unwanted touch, or just a lot of drunk sex, or checked out sex, it can be that that area just feels a little bit blurry. And so, having you know, paced, titrated, deliberate, attuned touch can be very reparative.
0: Beautiful, that makes. A ton of sense. I hope guys listening to this are also going, wait a minute. Oh, I get it. Or I'm starting to get, there's more going on here than just uh, meets the eye for lack of a better term. Hope you guys are loving this episode with Kimberly. Please don't forget to check out our sponsors at Zen Squatch on Instagram and at Cured Nutrition on Instagram. Just shoot them a quick message. I know someone's going to do this and be like, you guys, I didn't even know you existed." but I heard you on the uncivilized podcast. And now I think I'm going to spend a million dollars with each of your companies tomorrow. Thanks for supporting the uncivilized podcast and Traver. Like just go do that. Like five of you they won't, they won't know that you're not spending that money tomorrow. That's fine. They, they, they appreciate you. They love you. I appreciate you. I love you. Okay. Back to Kimberly. Would you say if we can just switch to the populace, how, how, how do we begin to work through trauma? Uh, it, it feels like just opening the conversation, uh, for a lot of people listening are like, well, wait a minute, that's a mountain. I don't even want to take, I don't even want to acknowledge the mountain exists because then for fuck's sake, I may have to climb it. Mm. And the idea of doing so while having a job, while paying a mortgage, while having kids, while trying to keep my body fat, while trying to keep blah, blah, blah. is just so overwhelming. How do you approach humanity, for lack of a better term, Kimberly, around the subject of trauma where it doesn't feel like, okay, everybody needs two years off of their life and a team of therapists and, you know, green juices every day. How do we begin to approach this?
1: Yeah, I love your question because it's really relatable and it kind of makes me emotional because I just, it, trauma is not something that's wrong with us. So, we don't have to fix ourselves. It's just a part of being human. We all have it to a lesser or greater degree. And if we're talking sexuality, we all had pathetic sexual education. So, it it was devoid of any conversations about care or relationship, right? Mm -hmm. I was appalled that my daughter had sex education virtually in the middle of the pandemic in New York, I'm like, okay, so you're going to teach her on a screen We're we're all talking about what screens do and how we don't want our kids to learn on porn, but you're going to teach sex ed on a screen and you're going to teach it in a moment when everyone's already that these kids haven't seen their friends in six to eight weeks. And so it, you know, we, we have this idea that it's so sex is so separate and that it, and so we all have imprints that influence how much access we have to who we think we are, maintaining all of these, like you said, okay, well, am, am I going to have to take two years off and I have all these things? And then adding it to the pile of things that we need to deal with, that might be if there's like, either we choose to do it or it does it for us. And then we end up having to do some other compensation, right? because it lives in the body when it, when it's going to come up and when it's going to get activated is another thing. Or if it becomes a personality trait or, Mm -hmm. you know, is deeply ingrained, but we can do it with one another. It's, you know, it's, it's helpful to have a practitioner, especially if there's something like very acute. But what I love about somatic work is it's not like talk therapy. And I don't have a pro- I mean, I've benefited from talk therapy, but most of the people I work with are like, I'm so sick of talk therapy. I've talked it all out. I know why I feel the way I do. I know what my mom and dad did, but I still feel the same way. I'm yeah. still reacting the same way. I'm still attracting the same partner. And what I find is that when we start to listen and be able to translate our body's own cues, which means we have to back off of willpower. We have to back off of discipline. We have to back off of all the ways that we think we should be doing things and actually listen and follow. It's not as big of a mountain as we make it out to be. Yeah. It feels that way because we maybe are confused or overwhelmed. You know, most people are right now. We're in 18 months of an uncertain situation that continues to change. Mm-hmm. It's revealed a lot of our instabilities. It's re- mm-hmm. So a pandemic is a global immobilization. We can't move as much as we've normally moved. Um, An immobilization is a parasympathetic freeze response. Mm. Um, Stress becomes trauma when we don't move. Arguably, this is a stressful event. It doesn't have to be a traumatic event, but it it is for most people because of how we've managed it. But if you have earlier immobilizations, then it's going to shift those up to the surface. And then the pendulation from overwhelm, freeze, collapse, helplessness is rage and annihilation. So then we see that other, that moral outrage and indignation and this extreme polarization, because it's just what's happening in our nervous systems. It's just a principle of how the nervous system tries to calibrate itself. Mm -hmm. So a trauma is not a thing. It's not an event. You and I could get in the same car accident, and you would be traumatized, and I wouldn't, or reverse. We have some ideas about why one person would be and one person wouldn't, but we don't totally know. And so it's why it's re- you know this word is also getting colloquialized. So people say it very casually, like mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm so traumatized by this." Uh, but trauma is undigested nervous system responses that lives in the body. It's like a sensation hangover kind of. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself really procrastinating a lot or you find yourself with, you know, you feel like you've constantly got to be doing something. Those are incomplete earlier nervous system responses that just haven't gotten to, to complete themselves yet.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you feel like positive?
1: Well, I just want to say that, you know, like I was saying, you know, if someone's listening and they feel that their partner is open to it and you're a man and you would just say to your partner, like, hey, do you want to just have present touch with one another and try it? Um, In my book, The Call of the Wild, the first couple of chapters really give you little roadmaps. One of them is called times. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier, which is thoughts, images, movements, emotions, sensations. And you can practice changing those channels So that you learn that's the language of the body. That's the body speaking. Thoughts are a little bit more the language of the mind. But the rest, image, movement, emotion, sensation is body speaking to you. And so you can do that with another person. And the foundation of all of this work is radical self-acceptance. So that's...
0: Say more about that if you would
1: is approaching all of, all of these things, the things that we think are wrong with us, the problems we think that we have to solve. We don't solve them if we come at them with this, with an intensity of the wrongness, because that's just reinforcing the problem we already have. So we have an addiction to intensity. You know, you, you mentioned this as like, okay, so you're going to, you still have your kids and your job and you're this and you're that. And you're, you know, workout routine and your body fat, and you have to keep. and And I think that biohacking in general, in some ways, is like a real response to an inability to feel out of control, an inability to listen to like organic impulses. It's like I'm going to track and measure every single thing because I don't just trust what I might do. I think people are afraid of being hedonists. Maybe they even were hedonists, and they're afraid that if they do one thing, it's all just going to unravel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know we just have to be so kind to ourselves
0: which is hard
1: it's hard it's and hard it, for
0: a lot of people we I, have
1: to remind ourselves and we have to have people around us who give us yeah. accurate mirroring mm. and we have to remember to ask if if we are somebody like i'm somebody who needs a lot of reassurance instead of pretending i don't instead of pretending like you know i don't care what other people think like to actually let my close friends know like hey can you just tell me it's going to be okay? Or can you Mm -hmm. just tell me I'm a good person? I know this is ridiculous, but like, I just, can you just tell me I'm a good person?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we have the state of the world that we're in. We can't wait to have a series of one-on-one practitioners. We have to start being able to do this for each other in the circle Mm. practices that you provide in retreats. And then in our, you know, ideally in our daily lives that we have community that we you know, make dinner with once a week, or that we can really be ourselves and that we could share that that thing. I think that social media has really done us a big disservice. Um, it's making people much less kind to themselves and to each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know there's a lot of positives to it. I've made great connections through social media, and I appreciate the platform to you know I've made I make a living off of social media, yeah but I also see that, you know, so there's a thing called the social nervous system mm. and it disproportionately impacts women because estrogen is a bonding hormone and estrogen makes us very concerned about the health of a group and what other people think about us. And, um, you know, the shadow side of a social nervous system is fitting in, which is camouflaging yourself by doing what everyone else does. So, by either earning the same amount you don't want to earn more or less because you don't want to be ostracized or you know wearing the same clothes because everyone where you live wears wide-brimmed hats and you know Birkenstocks I'm making up but it's also like don't don't be don't stand too taller you could get like the tall poppy syndrome sure sure, sure. so camouflage and it could be with your race or your religion you know I'm just going to be like a these other people or else I'm going to be ostr- ostracized. And from a nervous system perspective, that's a survival need. Because if mm-hmm. we're ostracized from the tribe, we can't survive. Right. The other one is fawning, which mm-hmm. I think is really important for your listeners. And because it's so confusing, you know, the me too movement. It really threw everything in the same basket. It made catcalling seem like it's the same thing as childhood incest means the same thing as a boss that wants to lift up your skirt. From a clinical perspective, those things are radically different. From an experiential perspective, they're totally different. That's making a political point, but it's not really making a human point. And it's created a lot of confusion in terms of like what behavior is okay, what behavior is not okay. It's really important for I, I lost my train of thought, actually. Um,
0: you were talking about fawning,
1: fawning, yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. So fawning is when you come closer to a threat. So if you are a person with less power and power could be is like physical but also financial, so, if you need a job like the movie Bombshell, where Megan Kelly's in the newsroom with that CNN—not CNN, Fox News guy—and all, it's a really good movie to illustrate fawning because the women do it in all different kinds of ways. But it's like it's why people are like, well, if you if you didn't want this person, why were you up in their hotel room? Why did you go back? Why did you stay in the abusive thing? Well, if the person has more power, the physiology approximates because a threat that's closer is more known than a roaming threat out there. Mm. And so if you, and if you need that thing, like you need money or you need um, a job or whatever, you're, you're more likely to do that thing. Or like if you're in a movie theater and there's a loud noise, you're going to go close to the person next to you rather Mm. than run out all by yourself. Sure. But people can also view it as manipulation Because it from the outside, it looks manipulative. It can look manipulative. And certainly, manipulation is also a thing. Like, that is also a thing that people do. It's (laughs) not like that never happens. But as far as the physiology, social media has really accentuated these social nervous system responses because we've got a million more chances to compare Mm -hmm. all like per Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And so, a million more choices of camouflaging or deciding to fight or. Um, a fawning response, you know, agree, 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 agree kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it doesn't feel trustworthy when you are the opposition, when you're the object of fawning, it's hard to know what to do. I mean, it's also like you and I, we have podcasts and we have a relative amount of like public notoriety. What do we do when we are being fond? Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't trained in transference and counter transference. And so a lot of times I get a little, Like, I don't really know what to do. You know, there's a part of me that likes it. It's great to be adored for the work that I've done and da, da, da. But then there's a part of me that understands this person's kind of giving their power away to me. And then, you know, so what is my responsibility of deflection in the fawning or, Mm -hmm. or how I work with it? So, you know, ultimately I'm about love and I'm about helping people become more humane with one another. And learn how to love each other better so that Mm. we can build a world that we all want to belong to. And my book, The Call of the Wild, is about the predator-prey dynamic and how women actually need to learn how to occupy the predator. Mm. But that doesn't mean become an alpha female. That doesn't mean be like the devil wears Prada. It means that you have intact self-protective instincts and you know that if you needed to defend yourself that you could because in the past so many women could not defend themselves they couldn't say the words they wanted to say um either because they were in a position of less power and they didn't want to lose their job or they didn't want to get more hurt so they you know so many women are like well i just gave the blow job because i didn't want to have sex so like i just figured i could just if sure. i just did that then i would be off the hook for the next thing right uh, and i don't believe that's what men really want so mm-hmm. um I have really been an advocate for this full spectrum nervous system experience. Cause people say, well, if you're in the hunting mode and you're in fight mode, then how do you relax? Well, Jaguars, which is, which is a long, me and Jaguars is like a whole story
0: yeah, but, it's the cover of your book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They don't hunt all the time. They mm-hmm. chill. They play with their cubs. They're not stalking all the time. They stalk when they're hungry. They kill only what they need to eat. Mm-mm. And then they be Jaguars. Right. Um, so it's not like I'm advocating for women to be on the prowl or hunting. Mm. I'm advocating for every human to have access to full spectrum nervous system range. But in my case, I work so much with women and as I've said, I've found that once women can activate the huntress and can learn how to stalk and can learn physiologically and physically how to occupy that, mm. then they actually are able to state what their needs are. They're able to communicate what they want, what they don't want. Um, Because that's equally as important. Many women know how to say, no, I don't want this. I don't want that. Don't touch me here. But they can't say what they do want. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's true of men too. I don't, I mean, I have been with men who have a hard time stating their needs because there's so much about pleasing and acceptance that it's hard for them. You know, I have to say like, forget about what you think I would like. Forget mm. about what you think I want or what I wanted in the past. Right. Like, what do you want? And I went on this one really fun date. Um, I gave myself a challenge because I thought, you know, I don't think I have very good selection radar. Like my past is showing me I'm not really good at choosing. And I have a friend who has been married for 20 years and we were at an African dance class and there were all these drummers. And so I was like, okay, if you could choose one, like which one would you? And she chose hers. And I was like, what? I was like, really? I was like, you really? And then I chose mine and she was like, oh no. (laughs) So I decided (laughs) when I was on the app that I would choose as if I was her because Mm -hmm. she's the one that's had like successful long. And I realized, oh, I'm kind of choosing like playboyish type, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know I was until I saw her choice, which was hers was like a bear choice kind of. So I, I chose like I was her when I was swiping and I was out of town. And so I asked this guy to meet me at a restaurant. And then for some reason he ended up coming. I don't even think he came to the restaurant because of timing. And I was staying at a motel. So here I was at like a first date in a motel room and we were talking. And, and then after like a while, like an hour and a half, he was like, so did you just want to talk? And I was like, wow, that's like such a great, mm. honest to say you know Mm -hmm. and i and i had to like pause because i wasn't really sure and i was like i'm in a hotel room like this isn't like am i supposed to do this and also Mm. like if i say yes to one thing does this mean this is going to be a one-night stand and sure and so i said well you know i could be open to touching and so he his head were at my feet and and his head was at my feet yeah so he just like put his hand on my ankle and then we started talking and I just said, okay, well, what would you like? Like, what, what, what do you want? And, and he just automatically said a blow job. Mm. And so I just paused because, um, I was wondering like what else he might want. Cause I said, you know, you can ask for anything. It doesn't mean it's happening. It's just sure. like, we're just putting it on the table. And then he like took a really deep breath and he goes, I'd really like a shoulder rub. Mm. And I was like, so if you had to choose, which one would you choose? And he Mm -hmm. was like the shoulder rub. Wow. And I just realized it was because he didn't even know what to ask for. Because Mm -hmm. if you're a man and a woman asks you what you want, that's like the stereo, like take -hmm. what you can get kind of thing. Sure. But once he actually dropped in, it was like, no, I think I want a shoulder rub. And in fact, I said no to that because I'm like, you know, I get it, but I'm a body worker and I touch people all the time. And I'm just really not up for giving a massage. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to do X? And I suggested something else. Uh, But I don't think that we, you know, for me, sex ed would be like that. Like practice, practice asking, talk about what possibilities are besides just oral sex, oral sex, penetration, orgasm, orgasm, Mm -hmm. which is most people's script for what good sex is like. And can be really fun for a long time until it gets boring. And then people are like, I don't want to have sex with you, but it's not that they don't want to have sex. They just don't want to have that sex they're getting offered.
0: Right. 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 There's a lot to, to what you just said. as well. (laughs) That was a great transition from trauma. Uh, I, I really appreciate just the view of sexuality and the view of conversation and the view of this is, I don't know if this is a word, but is holisticity a word like the, the holistic nature of how you're approaching all of this. Can I ask you specifically, uh, what advice do you have for women to get into this feel of predation without falling off the cliff into, okay, cool. Now I've got to become a man energetically per se.
1: Because yeah, no, I feel like that
0: message means. culturally yeah. is, is not quite acute.
1: Totally, it's like super yeah, mom, I'm super woman, super animals. everything. Okay, I'm talking about animal body. I'm not talking about persona or pursuit. Mm. Um, in fact, most of my clients are moms because my first book is about motherhood, and because sure, that's a neglected part of personal development in general. And just to tie that in, the reason the segue from trauma there is because this is trauma repair, asking Mm -hmm. someone what they want, Mm -hmm. sitting in the discomfort, having a conversation rather than just overriding and just doing something. And then later going, oh, God, I don't know. I might have gone too far. Did I enjoy that? I wasn't even present for that. I just said what I thought I was supposed to say. And I mean, we all have these regrets afterwards. It's trial and error. We have to experiment. Um, But that's the whole point we're all going to transgress boundaries and we're all going to have our boundaries Mm transgressed. And as women until our entire culture, or at least let's say 15% of our culture understands nervous system responses and can read them. Then if you're in freeze and so you're just, or you're in fawning and you're just tolerating the -hmm. other person's not, not necessarily going to know. Right. And then, and then saying it's their fault doesn't really, to me, feel very fair because Mm -hmm. we're swimming in the same water you Mm -hmm. like you can't know if i'm in a freeze response that's where this whole enthusiastic yes thing comes about Mm -hmm. but i don't think that's possible because i don't think anyone who's actually testing boundaries feels like like i didn't feel like an enthusiastic yes to something sexual with this guy i felt slightly afraid i was like trying to feel it out like can i hold my own here right i'm Mm -hmm. alone with somebody in a out of state like sure Am I doing something that's unsafe? Do I feel safe inside myself? Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about feeling comfortable in our own skin and owning our responses.
0: Mm. I think that's big, Kimberly. It's, it is, I'm on the male end, right? Which is it's, there's just a lot of confusion and that's, there's a lot of confusion in consent. There's a lot of confusion in, 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 the going back and reinterpreting uh, the, you should have sensed this, you should have known this, but why didn't she say something? But well, you should have read her mind. It's, and, and I, I have compassion for both sides on this completely. Uh, and yet what I think, men
1: need to do is men need to understand the impact of their charge. So not be mm-hmm. afraid of their own arousal, mm-hmm. um, but understand how to gradate charge so that it's not, a light switch. Like I'm a hundred percent turned on and just in that, you know, aggressive.
0: Right. And almost blind. Yeah.
1: And I'm just, I'm, you know, it's, it's almost like a stress relief. Mm. You know, women don't like to feel that sex, they're the stress reliever. Mm. So if you're, if you could just as easily go for a run or jack off, I just, I recommend doing that first and then coming to intimacy Mm. because it's different then.
0: Right, 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 right. There's but, so much to this.
1: Um, and what men can also do is really learn about one's own nervous system. Just like I'm asking women to learn about our nervous system because women are conditioned into the prey response. That's why I'm saying we need to to learn predator because both our nervous system, our connective tissue density, most of the cultural scripts are be nice Um, you know, when I went to school dances in fifth grade, my mom's like, you have to say yes to anyone who asks you to dance, even Mm -hmm. if they're nerdy, even if you don't want to, because that's being nice, you don't Mm -hmm. reject someone. Mm -hmm. So that together with estrogen, that makes us very concerned about the group safety and not making anyone feel bad, um, conditions us in that way. Men are conditioned. Most men in the other way, right? Even with emotionality, sadness is a flight or freeze nervous system state. Anger is a fight. So if you predominantly feel one or other of those emotions, you know what nervous system default pattern that you're in. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all of our responsibility to create safety, but I don't believe that people who have power, men, whiteness, it's the blindness is so because you're just used to having it it's so hard to even know when that's what's impacting the situation until someone shows you but it could be too late because if someone's in a freeze response because they were molested as a child and you happen to be touching them in a similar way or any sexuality at all is challenging for them um you have to be able to read you know, you have to be in yourself enough to read someone else's signals. Mm -hmm. I can tell when someone's in a freeze response. Mm -hmm. I can be surprised every once in a while, but you know, 98% of the time I'm going to be right. Same Mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. So we do need to be responsible for those things. But again, it needs to be not in this, this cultural vibration where if, if you make a mistake, you're bad, wrong, and it's your fault, right? Patriarchy is your fault because you're a man. Mm Patriarchy is no one's I mean, we didn't create it in our generation. Like Mm -hmm. it's like thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And so that shame Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is just the shame that's being thrown out into the collective. That's a collective problem is getting internalized as individuals. Mm -hmm. Right. So I see like my female clients really are like the patriarchy is in their relationship. And so they're rejecting patriarchy and they're rejecting their partner. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not going to help anyone. Right. And it's understandable, right? Because it's everywhere. Like my friend was saying, she has a, my friend is a woman married to a man and the women have a text thread for child care. She's like, why don't the men have a text thread for childcare? Cause they both work. It's, you know, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. they equally share responsibilities, but the mothering and parenting usually falls on to the female.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I just, there will, no one will ever regret being a more accurate translator of their own body's signals. Mm. There will never, no one will ever say, oh, I t- talked about that. Like I, it just, there's, there's no downside to it, to really understanding what your nervous system is telling you. Now yeah. there is an understandable fear because we might have to change the shape of our life. Right. Because our nervous system might tell us, you know what? I can't sit in traffic 2 hours a day. Mm-hmm. This that's what's making me sick. Mm-hmm. I got to move, right? Mm-hmm. Or or this relationship. I've tried everything, but my nervous system just goes into shutdown and overwhelm every time I'm with this person. I've already separated, I've gone back and it's you know, we might have to make real changes. Mm-hmm. I might have to, you know, today I had a meeting with Google Ads and it's like everyone's like, "Oh my god, you can crush it in Google Ads and da da da." Yeah, I could, but to what end? Mm -hmm. Like, where does it end? When is it enough? When do I just already have as much as I need? And I don't need to keep building the funnel and Mm -hmm. getting more lead gen. You know, it's, we're all in that. We're all being asked this question. What is enough?
0: Yeah. I think that's a, a brilliant place to, to call this. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank I, I know how busy you are, and I truly appreciate you. Where can people find out more about you, your books, your work, your your, your message? Where are you hanging out these days?
1: You can go to Kimberlyandjohnson.com. And if you're interested in the Jaguar course, you can go to com slash Jaguar. On Instagram is where I mostly am, is Kimberly.and.johnson because... Kimberly and John's are just very common names. So um, I didn't get in. I didn't get in quick enough on that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kimberly. I look forward to doing this again if you're open to it. I, have, I, I think I have more questions yeah, now than when I started, uh, but I really appreciate you bringing <laughs> this to the forefront and to the conversation. Even though so much of what you spoke about is women, so many of my male or all of my male audience cares. We just don't, they just don't know. And so I think bringing this up over and over and in, in really healthy, holistic ways is really important for all of us as a society. And for men to get, get an understanding of what's going on with their wives, their partners, their sisters, their daughters, or just their friends. And then by proxy, what's going on within them. So thank you again for coming on. I look forward Thanks. to doing this again soon. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.